Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Boomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear their experience or visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising. Coaching is about you. We can't control what others do. What are you willing to do to change in order to have a different type of outcome or impact? So asking a lot of questions and really helping people identify what they are willing to do on their own. Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Overflow. Today, I'm interviewing Latrice Sneed. With over 25 years of experience in the nonprofit sector, Latrice recognizes the pressing need for coaching, consulting, and recruiting services in today's demanding professional environment. As the CEO of Bonsai Leadership Group, Latrice answers this need, helping countless organizations optimize their performance and potential. Through her distinct perspective on time and energy management, she inspires leaders to nourish their inner strength, leading them towards success without compromising their well-being. In this episode, Latrice encourages individuals to consider the significant benefits that professional coaching can bring to personal and career development. By outlining their roles in supporting growth and boosting confidence, as well as helping navigate through challenging professional situations, she reinforces the transformative power of coaching, particularly for individuals who are open to change and have specific goals. A coaching relationship can bring about necessary evolution in both their personal and professional lives. There is so much to learn in this episode, and I can't wait to dive in. So let's go meet Latrice. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Latrice Sneed. Latrice, welcome to What the Fundraising. Oh, thank you, Mallory. I'm excited to be here. Why don't we start with you just sharing a little bit about you and your background and what brings you to our conversation today? So currently, I'm the CEO of Bonsai Leadership Group. We're a small boutique consulting firm based right outside of D.C. We focus on recruiting, coaching, and consulting for nonprofits mostly primarily in the environmental space, but we, we work with all nonprofits. I have over 25 years of experience in the nonprofit space. I hate to say that every time I'm like, am I really, <laughs> has it really been that long? <laughs> I feel young at heart, but it has been over 25 years. I've worked with some of the largest organizations from Boys and Girls Clubs to American Red Cross um, to the Nature Conservancy and the National Park Foundation. So I've recently, in the last two years, created this business to use all of that knowledge and expertise to help other organizations. Amazing. And tell me some of the trends you've supported. It sounds like female, women-identifying leaders in particular. Tell me some of the trends you've noticed, maybe even particularly over the last few years, pandemic, post-pandemic, in terms of what folks are talking about in terms of their needs to be able to realize their leadership or find their voice in this moment? 
There are definitely some trends and some themes that I'm hearing across all of my coaching conversations. So I primarily coach leaders in the nonprofit space that are director and above. Many of them are asking about how to set boundaries at work and then energy management. Some say time management. I say energy management. Others are asking about how to say no and no in a way that's professional, but doesn't seem like they're pushing back. So again, that ties into that protecting your boundaries and how to speak up and use your authentic voice. So those are some of the topics that I'm discussing the most right now. Can we start with the finding your voice piece in particular? Have you noticed any... I don't know if trend is the word I necessarily want to use here, but I feel like there has been this vibration or like energy around the urgency of people feeling in more alignment with themselves in their work and that there's more surfaced need than ever for people to really feel like they are speaking from their truest self and finding their voice at work and creating synergy between who they are outside of their work and in their work. I'm curious if that's something you've noticed too, and sort of how you've been cultivating that in the leaders that you work with. I think there's a strong desire to do that, but there's also a strong fear along with that. You know, how will I be perceived if I say this? Will this impact me? Will I have some sort of retaliation if I speak my mind? What will people think? Will I become labeled? So especially for Black women, speaking up has led to being kind of termed the angry Black woman. So there's a lot of fear when it comes to speaking up for a lot of women. And we talk about where does that fear come from? I often ask a question about a time when someone spoke up and it made a real difference. And so people realize that this isn't something new, that they've been doing it, but this situation may be different. So what is the barrier? Why is this different? And what can we do to overcome so that they feel like they can speak up just like they have in the past to share their Mm. authentic self? It's really interesting what you said at the beginning, that the desire to maybe speak more in alignment or use their voice is increasing, but the accessibility of that doesn't necessarily seem to be there. And maybe that's even adding additional stress on leaders because they have a heightened awareness around where they're not feeling like they're able to or allowed to, or they have fear of it. Do you feel like that's true? Is that creating additional tension or stress for these leaders when they're they're feeling this increased demand to want to express themselves more authentically? But then that fear, I can imagine, leads to a lot of stress in the workplace. It can absolutely add to a lot of stress in the workplace. There are times when you may have a supervisor that's not open to hearing that feedback. You might have seen another colleague that did speak up and maybe something negative happened because they spoke up. And so now you feel uncomfortable to speak up. Some organizations and some workplaces say, we want you to bring your authentic self. But then when you do speak up, they say, well, that's not what the way we do it here, or that's not being a team player, or is some experience. I was talking to a friend one time that worked at a very large nonprofit that really touted really speaking and being your authentic self. And every time she would, she was retaliated against. And people saw that. And so then other people were fearful for bringing up their ideas and their perspective on different things that the organization was doing. So then I talked to some of my clients about if that is the case, what would it look like or how could you approach it that would get to 
what you would like to see as the successful result. And maybe it's positioning in a different way. Maybe it's talking to a different person. Maybe it's talking at a different time. So sometimes we feel compelled to speak in that moment, in that meeting, but maybe it's waiting till after the meeting and talking one-on-one with someone. You know, Mm. maybe it's sending an email with your ideas written out and also asking people, what do you think about this and asking for their feedback? So sometimes it might just mean adjusting your style, your tone, the place, the time. And it's different for everybody. and It's different for each organization that you're working with. What you brought up is something I've thought about a lot in my coaching work. And especially when I'm doing a webinar in front of a few thousand people, or I'm group coaching and I think about the ideal advice I want to give around how to advocate for something, but then knowing that there is this disparity, particularly around how fundraisers of color, Black fundraisers in particular, could potentially deal with backlash from that type of action. And it sounds like you were starting to do that maybe a little bit, helping people understand the choices around application that they have. Because How do we balance that piece around wanting to give the most effective fundraising advice, but then knowing that the application of that advice is not equal in terms of what happens when you integrate that or implement that into your work? And I've brought a lot of guests on this show who have talked about ways in which we can create more equitable environments inside our fundraising teams and shops and support Black and brown fundraisers in particular, with a lot of the hurdles and barriers that they face in their fundraising that their white counterparts do not deal with. But in terms of how we support their integration or application of different tools, what's some advice that you have for how we caveat it appropriately? Because truthfully, there have been moments where I'm like, am I leading someone to a situation where they might be re-traumatized around something because I don't know the full environment that they're in or what their boss is going to be like, or if there is going to be backlash. Does that mean as a coach, I don't tell them the fundraising, coach them around that fundraising advice? I don't know. But I also like know that the system is not just or equal or fair. So what are some ways you support folks around that duality? Yeah, it's hard because people are all at different, I think, levels of their risk tolerance almost with confronting and speaking up. So confronting leaders in their organization or speaking up about different issues. And some people are willing to risk it all, right? And then Mm -hmm. others are like, I really need this job. And I'm really scared that if I say something, I'll be retaliated against. So I like to talk to people about their risk tolerance. What What's the worst that can happen? So asking that question, what's the worst that can happen? So sometimes people will say, I've seen this happen to my colleague, or maybe I won't get invited to that meeting anymore. Or in some cases, some people have said, I'm, you know, I'm afraid that I'll get fired. Okay. Is that a risk that you're willing to take? If they don't listen to you, is this the environment that you want to be in? And if they do terminate you, Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So for one person that I've worked with in the past, for her, speaking up was more important than the fear of being terminated. And she realized when she was speaking up that it was just out of alignment for her to be in that space. Nothing that she could say or do was going to make them support her, her ideas, her leadership. 
And so just from the fact of going through that process, while it was disappointing that they did not hear her, she felt empowered to know that she did everything she could to make sure that this was a place that she could be, but it wasn't. And so she moved on into a place where that did value her voice, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's some good out of speaking up, even when it's hard to do so. And even when people are not going to agree with you, because you can then decide, is this a place where I really want to continue to be? And I think that a lot of people feel like this is their only option. So when they say, I'm really scared that I'm going to lose your job. And so one of the things I have a book that just came out called When Black Women Rise. And in the book, I talk about having your FU money ready. (laughs) And a lot of times people all ask, you know, what's holding you back from leaving this job in order to find something that more aligns with your values? And first thing people say is, I have these bills. I'm putting my kids through college. Or it's always something related to finance. And so what do you need to do to have your FU money ready so that if the place that you're at does not align with your values, it's not supporting you, it's not helping you thrive, you can say peace out and find something else that really drives you and brings you joy. Life is too short for us to be miserable. And it's hard. I've been there. I've stayed at positions where that have made me miserable because I didn't have a few money, I had to pay certain bills. But then as I got older and I was realized, you know what? I'm really good at getting jobs and I know <laughs> I can get one. So I don't have to stay here. I can move on if this is not going to support who I am and help me thrive. Yeah, gosh, that's such a hard moment because I certainly have stayed in positions too because it's been economic downturn or a tough job market. And I know as folks are listening to this right now, they're like, this is not the time. You know, I totally agree with you. And I think one of the dangers of staying in those roles is that I have found that it has deteriorated my mental health to a point and my confidence, it continues to deteriorate my confidence, which then makes it harder and harder and harder to leave. So it's like finding that moment where you like, have enough resources to make it work to be able to leave and you haven't gotten so demoralized by the role that you're in that mobility feels even more impossible because it's like when your confidence is so low because of what's happening inside your current organization it's a really hard moment to like have the confidence to leave it's so true Mallory and I think On top of that, when you do leave, your confidence is so low that you start to have imposter syndrome in that next position. So it doesn't just end when you leave that position. Sometimes if you stay too long, you start to internalize those feelings and it carries on into the next position. I've had people who have said that they were in such toxic workplaces that they had to take off six months to a year just to get to that place where they felt good enough to show up in a strong way for their new position. And, you know, so it doesn't serve you at all. Yeah. I'm curious about how you think about the intersection of this. And I love what you said at the very beginning of this, which is that you think about energy management instead of time management, which is something that I focus a lot on too. My background in coaching is through an organization called IPEC, which certified me in what's called energy leadership management. So everything is really about like, how do we manage our energy? And it's been so enlightening to me to really realize the difference between 
I'll have a 40 hour work week that feels fueling and invigorating and exciting. And then I'll have a 20 hour work week that like brings me to my knees. And I start to notice like, okay, like this is not all about time. Like we sort of, you know, think burnout, I'm working too much, all these things. And I think it's so much more about energy. So talk to me about sort of your frame of reference there and how you think about it and how that then intersects with like the energy drain that these toxic workplaces can have. It's funny that you mentioned that because I, I remember another coach also talking about energy management. And that's when I started to pick that up too, because I said, yeah, it's not really about the time is where do I want to spend my energy? Where should I spend my energy? Because do I want to spend my time and energy on things that bring me joy or that are going to completely drain me? Or do I want to spend time on things that are going to uplift me and advance and have tremendous impact? Really thinking about that. I had a supervisor years ago and he used to travel all the time. He was so drained. He was so tired. And it actually had an impact on his marriage, a negative impact on his marriage. And one of the things he talked to me about during that time and was around how he was going to spend his time and his energy. He said, I'm not going to do this anymore, flying from here and there. The things that I'm going to ask people are, what is my role at this meeting? What kind of decisions do I need to make? And if I have no role and no decision-making authority, I'm not going to be there. And so that was his criteria for how he was then going to manage his future energy and where he was going to put his time. And I just thought that was genius. It was so simple, but yet it was genius because you never thought that you could put boundaries on how you were using your time at work. It's more reactive. Like they put another meeting on my calendar. I guess I have to go when really you don't have to go. You can say no. So what is your criteria for saying yes? to how you're going to spend your time and your energy. I was on the phone earlier with someone and we were talking just in terms of, of a general business sense. And I mentioned that I've learned a lot about where I want to spend my time and energy because I've figured out those things that really drain me. And I'm like, how can I take this off of my plate? Is there somebody else that I can hire or delegate this? To, or do I have to do it at all? <laughs> can we just stop doing it completely? Because it's not fun. And it's taking a lot of time and it's not having the impact that we want. So I think we all have to kind of set that criteria for how do we want to use our energy, especially when we want to have an impact and also to bring joy. In. First T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. Do you have any sort of like quick tips or habits? Like, let's say that somebody is feeling really trapped in their job, for example. What are some little things that they could do on a daily basis that might help them boost their energy when they don't feel like they have a ton of autonomy around necessarily like the tasks that they have to manage? 
I think it depends on their environment, like how supportive are the people around them? Because I think that sometimes even just talking to a supervisor that's really supportive can be very helpful. The more authentic you can be about how you're feeling and some of the things that you've tried to solve the issue and to ask them, what else do you think I should do? So asking for their help, showing that you have taken some steps, but what else can I do? And it makes them aware of how you're feeling. But again, that only works if you have a really supportive kind of supervisor or leader. Sometimes the colleague can be really helpful. Another colleague that is understanding and living kind of the same experience can say, these are some of the things that I have done in order to change. And I would not be a good coach if I didn't say maybe hiring a coach or asking your employer as a professional development opportunity to secure a coach for you for three to six months, because it's so nice to talk to someone that has an unbiased role in how you're showing up at work that can help you and think through your next steps, but ask you the right questions to get to where you need to be. So I do think that coaching can be valuable. I did not realize how valuable coaching was until I got a coach. And hence, that was one of the reasons why I started coaching myself, because it helped a lot during those times when I was not feeling included, when I was feeling like my voice wasn't being heard. And I felt like my coach asked the right questions to give me the confidence to show up in a different way, but to also figure out if I needed to be in that space as well. Yeah, I had my first coach when I was 22, actually, before coaching was like, what it is today. And I had a small amount of professional development money and a boss who knew this coach and it radically changed my life. But I never really thought it was something that I could do as a career. And then 10, 15 years later, started to explore executive coaching and I'm always being coached. Like I always have my own coach. And I think to have that that unbiased, impartial person who's really just committed to you with no other objectives, I think is obviously something that's so incredible. But And one of the tools that we use in coaching a lot that I have found to be really helpful for folks to use for themselves too, from an energy perspective, is just that acknowledgement and validation of how they're feeling. Like I didn't realize how powerful that was really before coach training around just the process of like, really letting yourself feel fully seen and acknowledged and validated for however your feelings or emotions are showing up. Mm -hmm. No, it's really true. You know, sometimes people ask me, well, how do I pick a coach? Like, do I need to pick a coach that has the similar background as me or understands my field? Not necessarily. A really good coach should be able to coach you no matter what. But I remember when I was picking out my coach, something that she said, Mallory, resonated with me because as a Black woman, I wanted to be seen. So I specifically looked for another Black woman to be my coach because I felt like she wouldn't discount how I was feeling. She wouldn't make up other excuses for how I was feeling. And I wanted to be I wanted to be heard. I wanted to be understood. And I felt like I got that from her without her stroking my ego or always telling me that I was right or anything. But I just felt like I was always going to get the support that I needed from her in that moment. Yeah. How do you think somebody knows that they're ready for coaching? And like when or if ever is somebody not ready to be coached? 
So I think people are ready for coaching if they have some specific need in mind. You know, mm. what kind of goal are you trying to reach? Are you trying to move up in your career? Are you trying to have more leadership influence? Are you trying to change some sort of leadership behavior? So I always like my clients to have some sort of goal in mind. Now I'll help them refine the goal, but what is it? Why do you want coaching? What are you hoping to change? And what steps are you willing to take to get there? Because there are some people who they don't want coaching. They don't want to change. They might be afraid to change. They might think that they are doing everything right. I don't like to coach those people. So one of the things that I always say is the person has to be open to coaching. I have a lot of people who will come, organizations that will come and say, hey, we want you to coach this person on our team. And before I say yes, I say, I need to speak to that person. Do they want to even be coached? Am I the right coach for them? What are they willing to do? And what do they want out of this? You might want A, B, or C, but what would they want out of this coaching agreement? I would say anyone that should not ask for coaching are people who aren't willing to change. If you think it's everybody else's problem, if you think other people need to change and you don't have to change, you're not ready for coaching. Because coaching is about you. We can't control what others do. What are you willing to do to change in order to have a different type of outcome or impact? Mm. So this brings me to a really interesting sort of intersection question around our conversation earlier around fear, fear of other people's reaction. And especially with some of the elements that we've been talking about, I'm sure for folks who are maybe considering coaching or any other type of thing, they're like, I can control what I can control, but then what about all of these other things? So how do you talk people through the value of that coaching, knowing that you can't control what happens in terms of the reactions around you? Mm-hmm. A lot of my coaching is around this active inquiry. So asking a lot of questions and really helping people identify what they are willing to do on their own. So what have you tried before? What are you willing to try now? What would be holding you back from that? What would success look like? So being willing to try different approaches and understanding that people respond differently. Everybody is different. So if you're dealing with a situation or a person Let's talk about that person. What is their style? How do they normally show up? Can you tell me about a time they were really receptive to one of your ideas? What did that look like? Where were you at? Was it one-on-one? Was it in a meeting? How did you show up in that time? We want to replicate those previous moments of success when it comes to something really hard. So for example, one of the things that a supervisor once told me, he said, I really appreciate when we have discussions about hard topics, you add a little humor to it. So that was a nugget I kept in my mind. And each time I had to have a a really difficult conversation, I would always try and think of something where I could add a little humor. So it might be in the beginning, like, I know you don't want to hear this today, but and I would add my little joke and then I would say the hard thing that needs to be said because he told me what he liked. So I'm noting it and I'm going to give him the information that I need to give him, but I'm going to give it to him in a way that resonates with him. So asking clients to really understand what has their previous experience has been, what have you seen that has worked, what would you be willing to try? And this is the most important part. Once we've uncovered what has worked in the past, 
what would you be willing to try? And it doesn't have to be major. It could be one simple thing that between now and the next time we speak, what are you willing to do to open up that conversation? Maybe it's just setting up time. Maybe it's setting up a lunch. Maybe it's just getting to know that person a little bit more before you have that difficult conversation. But yeah, it can be hard to change your style and to do something different because you think, well, I normally don't do this and this feels so uncomfortable to me because this isn't my style. No, it may not be your style, but what are you hoping to gain? What do you want to get at the end of this conversation? And what are you willing to do in order to achieve that? Mm. And so I know one of the things that you work with clients on is negotiating, which probably when I say that word, most people, even fundraisers on this call are like cringing a little inside, even though I think we have this very negative connotation with negotiation. I don't think about it as a bad thing. I remember my husband, one time I was recommending this negotiation book to him while he was dealing with something internally. And he was like, you think this is a negotiation? And I was like, yeah, I think any conversation where you have a goal in mind and somebody else has a goal in mind and you're trying to align those and both get what you want out of the situation, that's a negotiation. I was like, I think the reason it's making you very uncomfortable is because you believe that if you get what you want, other people don't get what they want. And I actually don't believe that that's what good negotiation is. I think it means everybody gets what they want and you're just figuring out how to, you know, align yeah. those things. So I'm curious, like, talk to me a little bit about how you think about negotiation and, and support folks with that. I agree with you, Mallory. I think it's about what can both people get out of it. So it has, there has to be a what's in it for me for both people in order for it to resonate. And I think the first time that usually I engage a client into some sort of negotiation is through that coaching contract process. So typically I'll have a, someone come to me and they say, oh, I would really love coaching, but I can't afford it, or it might be really expensive. And I say, I don't want you to pay for it anyway. What we're going to do is ask your employer. And they're like, oh no, my employer would never pay for this. This is where the negotiation comes in. How would it help you? So, you know, listing and defining all of the ways that coaching would help you personally, how would it impact the work? What outcomes do you think you would have as a result of coaching on the work that you do and achieving your annual goals? Now, what would be the benefit to your employer? What would they realize out of this arrangement? How could you help that leader or your team because of this coaching? And so really being clear about what's in it for them and what's in it for the employer. And they usually go back. I have not had one person, Mallory, that has come back and said, my employer said no. Every employer has said yes, if they have followed that model. And then the person who I'm working with is like, oh my gosh, it worked. It worked. What else can I negotiate? So I think that's like the first lesson for at least for me and my clients when it comes to negotiation is always talking about impact. It's not, I just want coaching because I want it, or I want a raise because I want it, or I want a new position because I want it and I deserve it. And you might deserve more salary because so-and-so has more salary, but what is the impact? What are you able to do? You have to show to the employer what's in it for them as well. If I get this title, I will be able to lead this team 
you will not have to lead this team anymore, which allows you to focus on strategy and I can focus on the day-to-day operations, allowing us to be a more effective team. If I'm a leader, I'm going to say, my goodness, that sounds great to me. Yes, (laughs) let's create this position and give it to you. You do have to think about in negotiation, it can't ever be one-sided. It definitely has to be both sides. Okay. I love where we have headed in this conversation. And so I just want to double click on this really quickly. How do you help them using coaching to be able to really see the incentives of the person that they're talking to on the other side of the table? Because sometimes I feel like we get so in our tunnel vision around what we want that we have trouble even seeing the aligned incentives because we're having trouble getting into their perspective. So how do you help yeah. folks do that? A couple of ways. So I ask the question, I say, now let's take off your hat. If you were this person, why would you say yes to this? So we want to brainstorm. So let's sit there and think and brainstorm. And I'll help a little bit, but for the most part, I'm looking for that person to give most of the answers to it. And the other thing I like to do besides brainstorming is practicing and role-playing. So I'm really good at role playing. (laughs) So I'll be the leader. Okay, let's have this conversation. You have to convince me. So let's practice this first. And I'll ask the hard questions. Well, Mallory, why should we do this? What impact will it have on the team? What impact will it have on the organization? And just the act of talking it out in that moment, number one, it gives them the practice and the confidence to have that conversation later. But they realize also that they already know some of the things that will have a positive impact in these negotiations. So that has been the most powerful tool, I would say, is definitely role playing and then the brainstorming together. This is actually one of the funny ways I've used chat GPT. Have you used that system at all? I have not. And everybody keeps talking about it. And I need to take some time and (laughs) and play around with it. Well, this is not a way I've heard a lot of people talk about it, but I like not argue with it, but I negotiate with it. I'm like, give me like the counterpoints to these things or what would be a yeah, but to this reasoning. And so I let it actually like role play with me a little bit. And I have found it and I've recommended it to clients too. It's been really helpful in just like building that confidence around, like, especially when I have clients say, I'm having trouble like making this argument or finding my voice around this. But then when I hear them talk about it, I'm like, you know, this argument, like it is inside of you. So I'm like, okay, fine. Go fight with a chat bot. (laughs) And like, you're going to hear it come out of you. You're going to hear the reasoning come out of you in a totally like no stakes situation. And then it really helps them build that rationale. I love that, Mallory, because you said, like, what would be the no? And that's a question that I always ask, like, why would your employer say no? Why would your leader say no? And be prepared to have a solution for that no. So if it's no budget, have you taken a look at your budget? And can you switch some things around in your budget to make this happen? Maybe there's no capacity. Whatever the no is, you need to be prepared to have a solution for that no. And using Chef GPT sounds like a great brainstorming tool for those no's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just a fun way. I'm like, you know, give me five objections to this thing. And then, okay, how would you counter each of these objections? And I just find it to be so helpful. I'm so grateful for your time. And 
for weaving through this conversation with me and learning more about sort of how you coach and support clients and also account for the fact that I think at the end of the day, the thing I always say when people say like the biggest difference between coaching and consulting is like coaching really is like the wisdom and the decision making and everything lies in you, the client. And it's really about facilitating you discovering how you want to move forward in whatever direction that is. And that level, I find that there can be a lot of fear embarking on a relationship like that at the beginning, especially if you're in a position of overwhelm where you're like, just tell me what to do. (laughs) And you're like, well, I hate when that question comes up. They always say that. It's like, I don't know what to say. What do you want me to say? Just tell me what to do. And I'm I can't tell you what to do. (laughs) The power of facilitating that journey from people and people making those decisions from their aligned and embodied selves, even if the decision is not to fully express something they wish they could, but to take a different route, even just the autonomy, I think, to make that decision consciously is so empowering for people. And so I'm just really grateful for the work that you do and for sharing that wisdom with us today. Oh, thank you, Mallory. It was such a joy to be here and to meet you and to chat about our experiences. And I really hope that you and your followers have enjoyed this time. So where's the best place for folks to connect with you and learn more and uh, potentially work with you? You can contact me on linkedin.com at Latrice Need. You can also connect with me on my website, latricenead.com as well. And you can reach me by email at latrice at bonsaileadershipgroup.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mallory. Okay, there is so much that I appreciated about this episode, but here are a few things that I am double-clicking on right now. Number one, reflect on your own risk tolerance and consider what actions you're willing to take to speak up and advocate for yourself in your current work environment. Number two, Start building your savings and I'm out money by assessing your financial situation and creating a plan to have enough resources to make a job change if needed. Just having that choice and that autonomy in your back pocket can be so helpful. Number three, prioritize energy management over time management by focusing on activities that bring you joy and uplift you while minimizing activities that drain your energy. Number four, consider seeking out coaching or support if you're in a toxic work environment that is negatively impacting your mental health and confidence. And lastly, number five, take time to reflect on whether your current workplace aligns with your values and supports your growth and well-being. If not, explore options for finding a new position or organization that values your voice and contributions. Okay, for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Latrice and our amazing sponsors, Overflow. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week.
Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.